0: Good morning. I, I have to, I have to uh, tell you this, this morning, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked or surprised that I even have a, an opportunity to, to speak to you uh, this morning. Uh, I know that most of you who attend the first service, some of you maybe uh, that attend the second service are not quite as familiar with me as, uh, as those in the first service, and incidentally, I would remind our senior adults that Tuesday we'll be leaving at 8 o'clock going to Asheville, to do the apple picking. If you'd like to go see Ellen immediately after the the service is over so you can get your name on the bus, spaces are filling up fast. So come on and put your name down, and we'll have a good time together. The reason I'm a little bit shocked or surprised that I'm uh, here, I I know that uh, some of you are well aware of the fact that that, uh, for the last 10 years that I've been working part-time here, uh, I I get burned pretty often by the people uh, here on staff that talk, talks about me being so old, John, you, you know how that goes, you know, and uh, uh, particularly by uh, Dr. Davis and Reed and uh, Scott uh, Crouch. I suspect that Sharon and, and Troy and Joel are the only ones who, who, don't, uh, who, who don't do that kind of stuff, <laughs> never never do that. And, and even some of you out in the congregation. Jump on the bandwagon and try to burn me, Tony and uh chris Hefner and, and others like that now i'm not going to call any more names than that because i don 't want to embarrass anybody but uh, uh, and, and then they turn around right around and give me a microphone. Can you imagine that, <laughs> that that's just hard for me to understand how that uh, how that would take place but incidentally i am I am glad to, to be here uh, with you uh, today and when Pastor Scott asked me a number of weeks ago if I would like to speak to you this morning. Came in my office and uh, he said, uh, "I need to ask you a question." I said, "Well, go ahead and ask me because I'm I'm bound to know what the answer is." So just just go ahead and uh, and ask me the question. And he said, uh, uh, "We've been looking at who we would ask to speak on homecoming, and uh, and normally we ask people who might have been once associated with the church, but no longer was associated with the church, <coughs> and." Uh, and since you're going to be retiring again at the end of December, then uh, you meet that criteria pretty well. And, and also, uh, we look at uh, people who w- would be speakers, and, um, and and we've been looking at uh, uh, some of them, and and uh, some of them are, are too old to even come and speak. You can't speak anymore, or uh, the rest of them are dead. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and since you uh, qualify for most of that uh, requirement. You meet that requirement, then uh, we thought we would ask you to uh, to come. And I thought, well, how in the world could I uh, say no to a a wonderful a wonderful uh, suggestion such as that? Uh, what I want to share with you just for a few minutes this morning is uh, a verse of Scripture found in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 30. Hebrews 11:30. And that verse says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after the people had marched around them for seven days. And getting ready for this message, I came across an illustration that I thought might would uh, point out to us uh, about the the kind of faith that the people uh, of Israel had that God would do exactly what uh, he said he was going to do and about the faithfulness of God who would keep his promise to do exactly what... uh, what he said uh, that he would do. And, uh, and so this illustration uh, says that there was a, uh, a church up in the, the Great Smoky Mountains that had outgrown their, uh, <clears throat> their uh, meeting place, and so they entered into a building project and built a new worship center. And about uh, 10 days prior to receiving their permission, their certificate of occupancy, to go in and, uh, and uh, start meeting in that building, uh, the pastor received a visit from one of the suits, <laughs> one of the county officials who basically said to the preacher, uh, we're not going to be able to give you your certificate of occupancy <clears throat> to meet 10 days from now in the, in the worship uh, center that you've just uh, completed. The reason being, you don't have enough parking spaces to accommodate the people who might possibly be able to come and, and be a part of that, uh, that facility. So He left. And uh, that Sunday morning, the pastor gave the, the the church the the information that was told to him, and and uh, called for a time of prayers on Sunday night. And so, out of about three hundred church members, uh, roughly twenty or so showed up that Sunday evening for uh, for the prayer time. And they began to pray. And uh, after a couple of hours, the pastor closed the prayer out and and uh, told the people to go on home and try to get some rest. That the same God that had led them this far, would not abandon them now. He would take them all the way. Now, Monday morning came around. A knock on the door of the church office. The secretary came and, and uh, told the pastor he had a visit, a visitor. And, uh, and so he went out there to, to meet whoever it was, and there standing in front of him was a big, burly construction guy with a hard hat under his hand. And he introduced himself and told the pastor, uh, I I represent a construction company over in the next county. We're building a big mall. And we're stopped dead in our tracks because we don't have the field dirt in order to complete our project. So if the church will allow us to bring the machines in and grade part of this mountain that your parking lot backs up to, that you own, uh, then we would commit to you to pave additional parking so that you could be able to to, uh, to use it for, for church facilities. So the only stipulation was that we have to have the field dirt this week. So the machines were brought in, the mountain was, uh, was uh, cut back, the uh, parking lot was paved, and the church met in their new building the following Sunday. I suppose that was uh, the same kind of faith that, Northside Baptist Church folks had back in 2002 when the church voted to relocate to a, a, a different place other than this place, which was we're landlocked. Some of you may not even know that, that story. Well, let me just give you a little, little illustration about it. The property was found at the end of Dave Lyle and, and Red, Red River Road on the corner, immediately across from uh, uh, Academy Sports Academy, and uh, Sam's Club down there, uh, 13 and a half acres. And uh, the deal uh, was that, that the, the, the property would cost the church $790,000 for that 13 and a half acres. I may have my figures wrong. Hopefully, uh, I won't be misleading you very much. And the church raised $240,000, I believe it was, to pay the, the down payment, financed $550,000 over a period of 10 years. How in the world would this church this size be able to do that? And at the end of that 10 years, I think there was a big balloon payment that had to be made, $250,000, 5% interest. I'll tell you how it was done. It was done because the faithfulness of God's people right here in this, in this building. Amen. This is the church right here. The building we're in is just a tool. So it was done because God's people were faithful to, to believe what God had said for this church to do, and that was to lead out into that future that he had in store for us. And it was done through the people like Lawrence Miller. Most of you don't know Lawrence Miller. I never had an opportunity to meet him. Never owned a car, rode a bicycle all around town, was a sweeper in the cotton mill. And when he died, he left this church $53,000, I believe it was, uh, as a legacy gift. And not only Lawrence Miller, but there were others uh, for the last number of years who've done the same thing. God's people being faithful to do exactly what they believed God was leading them to do. And then God being faithful to keep His promise. Hebrews 11 30 again says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. I suppose that's probably one of my favorite uh, verses in all the the, the Scripture. That story is one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite stories of all the Scripture. It it takes me back about 65 years when I was a little kid in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school uh, when uh, we learned the old African-American spiritual Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Anybody remember that? Sing it with me. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Now, the rest of you, don't look like you're so spiritual out there that, <laughs> that you're not old enough to remember that song. You might remember you know, the, the chorus that we just did, but do you remember the words to the, to the verse? It says, you may talk about your men of Gideon. You may brag about your men of Saul, But none are like good old Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. Now this event stands out, I think, in in my mind, or in history, because it's a story about God's people uh, emerging victorious when they were faced with uh, seemingly an impossible situation. Even though God had already promised Joshua, and you remember Joshua was uh, a general of of the army uh, when Moses was around, God had promised to give them the promised land, but yet this mighty walled city of Jericho stood in their way. So unless they could find a way to to bring down the walls of this city, uh, there's no way it could be taken. And if it couldn't be taken, then the promised land would never be theirs. Now, we only need, I think, to know one important fact here, and that was that it's totally impossible from a human standpoint to bring down the walls of Jericho. Totally, completely, utterly impossible for the children of Israel to bring down those walls. Any intelligent man would look at that situation if if he had uh, any common sense at all or any uh, half a brain even, would look at that situation (coughs) and say, look, we we can't do this, and then turn around and walk back the way that they came. You remember Kenny Rogers... Uh, He did a song one time uh, in called the Gambler. You know, he said you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them and know when to walk away, know when to run. So a normal person, any intelligent person, would throw in the cards (coughs) and say we can't do this, and turn around and walk back uh, in the uh, opposite direction. And yet the Bible tells us that God's people won a great victory that day. How did it happen? Hebrews eleven thirty 30 gives us the answer it says by faith that's what it says by faith two words but that story seems so utterly impossible that I think it begs for us to do a little bit more uh, investigation what kind of faith was it that caused the walls of Jericho to come crashing down well let me answer that question by giving you five possible little answers. And we'll try to hurry. I know that uh, I don't have uh, as much time as Brother Scott usually takes. Well, never mind. I won't, I'm not going to say any of that kind of stuff, you know. <clears throat> I think uh, in the first place, the walls came down because of faith, faith in God in spite of long odds, faith in spite of long odds. If you've ever had an opportunity to visit the Holy Lands, or hopefully you would have an opportunity to visit <coughs> the Holy Lands. You get there by going down through the mountains uh, from Jerusalem or coming uh, out of the Sea of Galilee, uh, following the, the road south uh, down uh, that parallels uh, the uh, uh, the Jordan River. And, and that's, uh, the city of Jericho was located not far from the Jordan River, and I think that's an important fact for us to, uh, uh, to remember here in this uh, uh, story about uh, Joshua's amazing conquest. You see, the Canaanites had built Jericho as a kind of gateway fortress to their land. Any invading army would have to deal with this, uh, uh, this great wall city of Jericho. You just couldn't simply bypass it. You couldn't ignore it. Uh, Jericho was too large and too strong and too powerful. So what was Jericho to the children of Israel? It was a city of pagan unbelief. It was a city of strategic importance. And it was a city of human impossibility. You see, all three of these things are are crucial as we think about what took place with Joshua. See, this corrupt Canaanite religion um, with its emphasis upon uh, idolatry and immorality, it had to be confronted. It had to be confronted head on. Uh, You see, that, that kind of religion could never... Coexist with the one true living God. See, it had to be confronted, It had to be defeated. So the the city had a, <coughs> excuse me, a spiritual as well as a military uh, uh, importance. And because the wall was so high, they seemed to reach the sky. If you go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter uh, nine, I think verse one, uh, when they first was at the Jordan River and refused to cross over, it said you can cross and enter into the promised land, but you'll be confronted with cities that have walls that almost seem to reach the sky. Well, in the last 140 years, archaeologists have done a a great deal of work digging and exploring around the ruins of ancient Jericho. So we now know that the city of Jericho actually had two walls an outer wall, and an inner wall. Both of them were built on a slope, which made it virtually impossible for any invading uh, army to be able to penetrate those uh, those walls. And because Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world, and it is, uh, it was built and destroyed and rebuilt many times over the centuries. And once the city was destroyed, those who were left behind simply uh, took the ruins of the foundations that were left and then rebuilt on on top of that. So it was kind of a, a, a constant construction and destruction and reconstruction that created a kind of hill of ruins in archaeological terms called a tell, quote-unquote. As researchers dug through the, the various layers, they discovered that Jericho had, had indeed been uh, uh, destroyed Uh, And heavily fortified, but yet destroyed around 1400 B.C. And had been destroyed by fire. Archaeologist Bryant Woods uh, describes this famous wall city of Jericho. Listen what he says. The mound or tail of Jericho was surrounded by a great earthen embankment with a stone retaining wall at its base. The retaining wall was some 12 to 15 feet high. And on top of that was a mud brick wall six feet thick, some 20 to 26 feet high. And at the crest of the embankment was a similar mud brick wall whose base was roughly 46 feet above what the Israelites saw as they marched around the city of Jericho for seven days. So, humanly speaking, it was utterly, totally, completely impossible to penetrate this impenetrable city of Jericho. Bryant Wood goes on to mention that there were probably several thousand people locked up inside the city when uh, the Joshua uh, arrived on the scene. He also notes that the city was well prepared for a siege. It had a spring inside the city of Jericho that supplied all the necessary water. And since harvest <coughs> had just been completed, and food taken into the city before the gates were shut uh, up. Uh, Jericho would have been able to withstand any kind of a siege for months and months and months. So what in the world were the Jewish people to do? What were they going to do in the face of this seeming impossibility? If he went straight at the city, wouldn't be successful. They had no way to tear down the walls and enter. And if they could not skip Jericho... And if they couldn't breach the walls themselves, then what in the world were they going to do? Well, that brings me to my second point, and that is the walls fell because of a faith that followed a very strange plan. If you look over in Joshua chapter 6, flip over in, in the, the Old Testament to Joshua chapter 6, uh, God instructed the, the Jews to do a number of really strange things, none of which had any kind of military uh, importance whatsoever. He said in verse 3, march around the town once a day for six days. And then march, verse 4, march with the Ark of the Covenant. Put seven priests in front of the Ark. And on the seventh day, march around Jericho seven times. And then have the priests blow the ram's horn as they march. And when the people shouted to the top of their lungs, the walls would come down. And he says, Joshua, when the walls fall, then you go inside the city and conquer it. Well, Joshua added a few little uh, remaining details to, uh, <coughs> to this plan. He told the people to be silent as they marched around the city. Now, picture that in your mind's eye. Thousands of Jewish people lining up, marching around the city of Jericho, not saying a word. He put soldiers in front of the priest and behind the ark. And he had the priest blow the ram's horn, the shofars, on a continual basis. So for six days they marched around the city once, would go back to their camp, do the same thing the next day. And on the seventh day, at the end of the seventh time around the city, the priest sounded a long blast on the shofars, and the people shouted as, as loud as they could. Now, let's hit the pause button here for just a second. Uh, Just what were the chances of this kind of strategy working to bring down the walls of of Jericho? Uh, What do we have? We've got marching. We've got uh, horns blowing. And we've got uh, people shouting. I don't know about you, but I think that sounds like something you might see at a football game or something, you know. Uh, I I suspect you'd be hard-pressed to find any military strategist who would adopt the Joshua plan as the best way to conquer a walled city. Uh, Let's see the equation. Marching plus horns plus shouting equals big question mark. So what we have here, I think, is a, a great deal of noise. Suppose this morning we were just magically <coughs> picked up and transported to the Great Wall of China, and we stood on top of the Great Wall of China, and we asked the question, what would what would it take to bring down this wall? And probably, in modern day terms, we could all think about a number of things that uh, we could, we, missiles and whatever, cruise missiles or whatever might would uh, would bring it down. But I dare say that marching and horns and shouting probably wouldn't be uh, high on the list. Uh, I think so far what we've got would probably to most of us seem like the the greatest military blunder uh, that you might see on the History Channel. Uh, But at this point, we encounter something new and something vital and something different. The walls fell because of a faith that God would somehow give them the victory. He gave us two hints in that scripture. First of all, God said he was going to give them the city. He said in Joshua chapter 6 verse 2, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now notice, God didn't say to Joshua, I will give you the city. He said, I've already delivered it. I've already given it to you. See, that's the key. God speaks as if Jericho has already been defeated. See, God's saying to Joshua, look here, Joshua. This this is a done deal, son. The walls are going to fall. It's just going to be a matter of time. So in the real sense of the word, the battle was over before it ever got started. It was over before it ever got started. See, God promised to deliver the city, and in due course, He honored that promise. And then the second little hint he gave us is that God put himself right in square in the middle of the battle plan. See, if you casually just read the story about Joshua's conquest of, of Jericho, you may just slip right over the fact that God put himself right in the middle of this, uh, of this battle plan by having the, the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant with them as they marched around Jericho. You remember the Ark contained the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets, that God gave Moses there on the mountain. It also contained the golden pot of manna. Manna was the food that God provided the children of Israel with uh, as they marched around in the desert because of their disobedience and refusal to go across the Jordan the first time. It also contained Aaron's rod that had uh, that had budded. The lid of the ark was the golden mercy seat where the high priest would uh, would offer a sacrifice uh, in the holy of holies once a year on the. Day of Atonement for the sins of the people. You find it over in Leviticus chapter 6. So the ark represented the very presence of God with his people. So putting the ark out front was as if God was saying, All right, folks, line up behind me because I'm fixing to lead this parade. See, all this, none of, none of the battle stuff or the military options need to even be discussed at this point in time. You didn't need any spears. You didn't need any battle armor or whatever. Yet I think there's another aspect to this story. What do you suppose the people of of Jericho, people inside the walls, were thinking during that long week when the Jews marched around the city in total silence, except for the sounds of those blaring ram's horn, the shofars? In first chapter, a uh, first verse of chapter six in Joshua, it tells us only that the people. Uh, had shut up the gates and were inside the city for fear of the Jews, and the, this happened before the battle uh, plan e- ever uh, came about, before the the marching ever began. So I think the cumulative effect of this would have uh, uh, caused a, a sense of dread among the people inside the walls of uh, of Jericho. See, they knew that the Jews could never breach the walls themselves. Uh, but on the other hand, they were they were trapped inside the the city and they couldn't get out. Uh, and they'd also heard how the the Jews had uh, crossed the Red Sea on dry land and how that they had uh, come in contact with the the Amorite kings Sihon and Og over in Joshua chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. Plus they had that weird strange marching to contend with day after day. So I think it was simply a, a, a divine psychological issue that, uh, that they were uh, dealing with. See, although the people didn't know it, they lost the battle before the, the, the fighting ever, ever began. They lost the battle when God got involved. So let's look at the equation again. Marching plus horns plus shouting plus God <coughs> equals the walls come tumbling down. See, it's God who made all the difference in the world uh, there in that battle. See, the God who made those stones, who created those blocks of stone, could have easily, with his breath, just simply blown them over. We don't know how he did it. Only the Bible tells us that he did it. And then the city was taken by Joshua. There was a day when Robert Morrison... Who's a Protestant missionary to, uh, to China. was on a boat uh, going to China, and the captain of the boat said, uh, Mr. Morrison, are, why are you going to China? Are you planning on converting all of China? And Robert Morrison looked at him and said, No, sir, but I'm, I'm, I believe that God can g- convert all of China. See, folks, that's the same kind of faith that brought down the walls of Jericho. And so that brings us to the fourth characteristic of this Jericho faith. The walls fell because of a a faith that expressed itself in obedience. A faith that expressed itself in obedience. See, if God is the real story here, and He is, then we face another question. Why did God have the people march around the city for six days and then seven times on the seventh day? It's not as if the marching destabilize the the stone walls. Uh, It is, I think, a lesson for us about the power of God on one hand and the need for perseverance on our hand. You see, God has so ordered the universe that he responds to faith when it's actually put to work. He responds to an active faith. A, a living faith, a faith that actually does something, if you read the rest of Joshua chapter six, you'll find that god 's promises do not equal inactivity whatsoever. In verses six and seven, it talks about a that there must be a diligent preparation uh, made, and verse ten uh, talks about a, a a careful discipline. The people had to be disciplined to walk around the city. Uh, six times and then seven times on the seventh day. It talks about a, a, a patient repetition. It talks about a, a tremendous happiness, a tremendous exaltation on the part of the people. He told them to, to, to jump and shout for joy and the walls would come down. In verse 21, he talks about it had to be complete obedience. And the rest of that passage talks about a careful compassion. You remember when the walls fell and, Jer- and Jericho was defeated, all except Rahab and her household. Remember, Rahab was the prostitute that uh, uh, that hid the spies the first time when the, the children of Israel refused to cross over the city, uh, the river Jordan, to to go in and, and claim the promised land. And because she did that, uh, they told her that God would honor her and her family and uh, and keep her safe. So, don't you think that God could have said to Joshua, sit tight, Joshua, I got this. I got this. I'll knock over the walls and destroy the city myself. Would there be any problem with that? No, absolutely not. You see, God's fully able to work with, our, with, that, with uh, or without our human uh, hands. But I think his normal plan is to... Use you and me, use people to accomplish his purposes. So even though God caused the walls to fall down, the people still had to march, they still had to shout, and when the walls fell down, they still had to go into the city and fight door to door. See, I think that's uh, exactly the point the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand today. By faith, the walls fell down. How do we know it was by faith? Well, because the people of God put their faith into practice by marching around the city day after day after day. So I think we can sum up the lessons of this story in one final statement. The walls fell because of a faith that acted in spite of doubts. Here's a good definition I ran across of faith. It says faith is belief plus unbelief and then action on the belief part. You see, I think we all really realize that belief is involved in faith. You you have to to believe in something before you can have faith. If you go to the doctor, you've got to believe that the doctor is going to do something to help you, or else you you probably won't go to begin with. So belief is always the first part of faith. But unfortunately, I think that some people uh, stop their definition of faith right there. They think faith is belief plus nothing else. So people who truly believe that faith means 100% certainty, they sometimes are paralyzed. They're waiting for something that might not ever happen. In truth, that th- there's always unbelief mixed in with our belief. Uh, you didn't think it took faith to march around Jericho for six days and then seven times on the seventh day? And God told them that the walls would come falling down, but they still had to do the marching. See, that's acting on the belief part, living by faith means acting on the belief part. It means taking a step of faith, however small, however halting, however unsure of yourself that you might be. And so, in that light, we can understand the story even more clearly. The Hebrews marched around the walls once a day for seven days. <clears throat> can you just imagine the scene? Thousands of of uh, Israelites lined up in front with the priest, with the Ark of the Covenant, marching around, blowing their ram's horn. Inside, the pagans are scared to death. Nothing happens. The next day, the Jews march around again. Nothing happens. The third day, they march around again, and nothing happens. Only this time, I can picture the people inside the, the city beginning to relax a little bit. They're probably saying things like, What's going on here? Is this some kind of crazy joke? Uh, are those Jews, are they nuts? And uh, outside, probably some of the Israelites were saying things like, Hey, Joshua, man, let's let's get on with the program. Uh, what, what are you doing, doing this day after day after day? This is a waste of time. Let's attack this city and get it over with. So on the fourth day, they march around. Nothing happens. Fifth day... Nothing happens, only this time I can probably imagine some garbage flying over the walls inside the city and hitting the the, the Israelites as they marched around the city. <coughs> People standing on the walls inside the city taunting or or uh, yelling insults at the, the children of Israel. On the fifth day, same thing. Sixth day, same thing. And on the seventh day, on the seventh trip, the horns would blow and the people let out that shout and at that miraculous moment, the walls came tumbling down. See, that's it, folks. That's how faith works. Don't you think there were some doubters? Absolutely. Don't you think uh, there were some critics? Without a doubt. Don't you think there had to be some griping going on in the ranks? Without question. You see, I think... Complaining and griping is all a part of our human nature. We have a tendency to do that a lot. But these are real people outside the walls, trampling around in the hot sand day after day. Hot, nasty, it's frustrating, but they did it. See, that's acting on the belief part. And when they took that step of faith, the Bible says that God honored honored it and the walls came down. See, the real battle of Jericho was not with the Canaanites. The real battle, I think, was within the hearts of the people of God. Would they believe what God had said that he was going to do? Would they risk public humiliation if by some chance the walls didn't come crashing down? Would they do what seemed from a human standpoint to be absurd... In order to see God do the impossible. Our text today. Tells us that it was by faith. That the mighty walls of Jericho fell to the ground. But folks my question to you this morning is this. How will we conquer. Our own walls of impossibility. Where are we going to find the faith to do it. If you just flip over in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 2, you clearly find the answer. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the author. He's the finisher. He'll start it, and he'll finish it. He's the captain of our salvation. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes super glued on Jesus. Look to Him. Follow Him wherever He's leading you. See, folks, I'm a firm believer. When Jesus Christ leads the way, when Jesus Christ leads the way, the walls have to come tumbling down. Would you pray with me? There may be some people here today Who are facing their own walls of impossibility. It may be a mounting debt. It may be walls of impossibility with regard to relationships. Maybe it's relationships between a husband and wife. Maybe it's family relationships. Maybe it's relationships with friends. There may be people here today who's facing... Walls of impossibility that Satan has put up in front of you. Saying you don't need to, to be a part of this church family. You don't need to, to step out and come down and take the preacher by the hand. And, and tell him what you'd like to do. You may be uh, facing those walls. But folks, I want to tell you. If you keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. All those walls will come crashing down. Lord. We pray that you just take over this service right now. May the Holy Spirit fall down upon his place like fire from heaven. And God, may you touch the hearts and minds and lives of these, your people. And may they respond how you would have them to respond today is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.